and welcome to Dungeons and Drama Nerds. My name is Todd Brian Backus, and today I'll be joined by the cast of Of Mice and Monsters, our D&D 5th edition adventure, written by Matthew Minichino, as well as our dungeon master, Percy Hornack, and the writer, Matt himself. Today, we're here to talk about our first campaign and how it went. Let's go around and share names, pronouns, and your role in the campaign, starting with Matt. Hi, I'm Matt Minichino, he, him, his, uh, and I'm the author, divisor, whatever word you want to use of this campaign. Lovely. Uh, Percy. Hi, I'm Percy, he, him, his, and I uh, was the dungeon master. Lovely, lovely. Renee. Hi, hello, Renee Goddess here. Um, I played Nokuzola, who is a tabaxi. I'm a bard, (laughs) y'all. Lovely. Chris. Hello, uh, Christopher Dirksen, he, him, his. I'm a human bard. Wunderbar. Kevin. Hi, I'm Kevin R. Free. He, him, his. I am Sriracha, the Eldritch Knight, who is also a tiefling. Beautiful. Nick. Hi, I'm Nick Orvis. He, him, his. And I played Gavin the Glorious, a gnome fighter. So lovely to have you all here. Um, So to start off, uh, let's talk a little bit about what were some of your expectations going into the campaign. So what were some of the things that I know that we had some talk beforehand about what kind of a campaign y'all wanted to play. And so with that knowledge in mind, um, what are some of the things that y'all were expecting might happen or were expecting going into the game? Um, For me, as the sort of as the DM, I... This adventure was a nice balance of combat, uh, social encounters, and kind of like a dungeon segment. So it had sort of the main things that that people look for in a in a D and D campaign. But I was curious to see um, which one y'all would sort of embrace the most. Um, and I was I was right. I assumed that that y'all would be most comfortable having conversations with shopkeepers and and talking to each other and and building relationships within the party, which is absolutely what happened. Um, did not necessarily anticipate that that one season room puzzle would take a full hour, <laughs> uh, <laughs> but here we are. But yeah, that was sort of my big question going in: was what will this group of people sort of gravitate toward naturally? Uh, this is Kevin. I expected to die first. <laughs> you know, being the black man and all. Although my character was, wasn't black, I suppose, but I really expected to be dead, like, right away. And you didn't even <laughs> fight anybody until almost the end, and then you fought so many things. I did, well, because I felt like it was going to end, and, and I hadn't used any of the powers that I was looking at on my description of characters, of myself. And so I thought, I'll just, you know, and I was getting a little help from the sidelines, too. But, you know, fighters gonna fight. <laughs> That's right. I expected to feel a lot of time feeling stupid. Um hmm. And like in a fun way, I'm not good at going into things not knowing. I'm, it's not my strong suit. So <laughs> I just expected to spend a lot of time feeling a lot of like self-doubt. And I, I'll say I felt some, but not nearly as much as I expected. Mm-hmm. Um, and I also expected um, to laugh a lot, 
which definitely happened. So I love laughing. Give me a comedy any day. So like that, I, I, I only know one person <laughs> mm. amongst the group of you. So I was like, these are new energies. Let's go. So yeah, I feel very happy with the experience as a whole. Yeah, I also had a great time. And I I think I, I wasn't quite sure what to expect. I think I remember from that email discussion we had beforehand, you know, that we had settled on like, like not too serious, but still kind of adventure ish. Um, and I really, I really enjoyed the mystery aspect of it. The sort of like something strange is going on in, in the woods. And we have some idea of who might be behind this, but then everything when we get to that guy's house seems weird. So I, I really enjoyed that aspect of it that I wasn't sure whether that would be there or not until we started playing. Yeah. I expected to play Dungeons and Dragons. <laughs> <laughs> and, and by that, I mean, I expected, Did you? yeah. Uh, <laughs> I expected to hit, to uh, laugh a lot and to pretend to hit things and with my imaginary sword and uh, I also expected to die first, but uh, that's also maybe how the character is designed. So, unfortunately, uh, I did not manage to kill any of you. You came uh, close with me. Oh no! <laughs> I was real close at the end there. I did have a moment of realization as you were fighting a mind flayer and two gibbering mouthers that I should have leveled you up, <laughs> and I didn't. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, because I mind flayers have abilities that do like four d eight damage. Just insta kills, mm. absolutely. Yeah, you, know? you, you wonder why. You know what's really funny about that exchange between the two of you is that I still have no idea what that means. <laughs> I still have absolutely no. I should have leveled you up. <laughs> what the hell? I have no idea we what's going on. Above our weight class is what Chrissy is saying. <laughs> yeah, we were, we were definitely punching above our weight class at you certain were, points. You were oh, so monster. we were really good fighters. You yeah, really good. we did some excellent fighters. We did some things. Wow. Yeah. yeah, you were fighting a monster that is threatening to people who are like twice the level that your characters were, um, and you kicked the shit out of them actually <laughs> you were very close to killing this uh individual before i could uh, let them get away but that's yeah i really wanted to i was so i, I mm -hmm. see now why you why you fought so hard to not let not let that tell to get that teleportation out of there you know, a whole other act <laughs> that would have um, been quite the curve i kind of forgot about dying to be honest like that was a possibility. Yeah. <laughs> so like, I don't, I like video games, but I tend to play things more like, like a Tetris or a Mario or a, I don't generally play things where I'm shooting or things are shooting at me or I'm using weaponry or I need to have like, you know, guards on or she, like it's, those are not the kinds of games I normally play. So I'm a Ms. Pac-Man guy myself. Yeah. Yes. So my brain completely didn't even think about dying until we were like in battle. And I was like, oh, wait, right. This is real. <laughs> so yeah, yeah, yeah. Completely skipped that one. And I kind of like it that way because I was, I just made, I was like, whatever, just make decisions. It Sounds like matter. a glamour bard to me. <laughs> oh, thank you. Thank you. 
Um, pivoting a little here, Matt, I know that you are a DM and run your own campaigns and also you're a playwright. Um, but I, is this your first time, um, doing, a, a module that you weren't going to run, like building one? Absolutely. Yes. Lovely. Um, and having listened to, um, what the players wound up doing, uh, were there things that surprised you, things that excited you, things that you were like, wait, what? Uh, I was surprised, I'd say, by about 98% of what I listened to. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, but also uh, just utterly delighted uh, in, a, in a state of sort of sheer elation at how many different ways the module fell short. Uh, I found to be very fun. Percy and I commiserated at length about um, the difficulty of DMing, but the, the joy of it, and that as a playwright, one often gets into a job like that because one has a god complex. Um, and uh, one wishes to control the story and dictate all of the sublime metaphors of the narrative. And as a DM or a campaign designer, you completely have to let that go while simultaneously still having it because you do create all of this intricacy, but at the same time, you know that the most important thing is the players. And when I'm uh, DMing the campaigns that I run in New York, uh, everything changes on the fly as I realize that the players are not enjoying something that I'm throwing at them, or um, they just met a shopkeeper and they loved the shopkeeper so much, even though I just picked like a stupid French accent or something to do. And I've realized that the next hour at least is going to be them in this like hat store. Um, <laughs> Because that's what they want, and it's right. like you have to, you have to sort of redictate the narrative and writing a module. That's what I wanted. <laughs> How come I didn't go to a hat store and talk to a I, shopkeeper? I wrote, I wrote the hat store in for Percy, but then I deleted that part of it. So they, I may never forgive you. And honestly, <laughs> honestly, an unforgivable act that I did. So that's fine. Um, but so we we had a lot of like I talked with Percy a lot about this this idea of when you write a module, it's hard to predict the things that are going to work and the things that are going to not work. So I think there were, there were a lot of points where I was listening, where I was like, this is such a great group, but they're probably really not going to like, based on what I've heard for the first like 45 minutes, they're going to hate this part or <laughs> like this part is not going to work. Like I've, I've just like flown Percy a horrible curveball by like forcing them to solve these fucking riddles. Like, <laughs> like no, they're not gonna go through that shit at all. Um, and then listening to it and realizing that you luckily are all uh, lovely enough people, but also natural enough at the kind of form of storytelling that this is, which was that there was a lot of strange uh, ethereal joy found in all of the weird different things that exist in the narrative. Hmm. Um, I don't know if that answers the question because I forgot the question. But... <laughs> I think you did a wonderful job answering it. <laughs> um, awesome. Uh, Can I respond to that really quick? Yeah. Just to, I, yeah, I think um, the thing that this experience has made me realize is that this game in the same way that theater is, is so much about trust. For example, like you and I don't know each other, 
really at all, um, except like our interactions that we've had for this podcast. And I think it's it's in a in a world where like we had the kind of relationship where I felt comfortable saying this doesn't work, so we're just not going to do it. There are things I absolutely would have been like, we're just going to not. We're gonna, it's a normal room. There's no there's no bears in here. You know, like I I think um, that's sort of my big like realization is like, oh, this is so much about the relationships that you have to to the story and who has ownership of the story and that sort of thing. And that was something I hadn't thought as deeply about before that I have now started thinking a lot more deeply about is like, oh, what in this environment can you even is there anyone with ownership of the story? And the answer is no. <laughs> yeah, it sort of belongs. It's a very communal experience. Like it belongs to whoever it needs to belong to in the moment. Ultimately, I always think it sort of belongs to the players, but at the same time, it is that kind of uh, give and take, which is there will be moments where the story belongs to the DM, but they're using it as a gift that they're trying to give to the players, and then the players are trying to give that gift to each other. And it's like a, it's like it's the gift of the Magi. It's that short story where everyone has like shot themselves in the foot in order to create a like good, creative, joyful environment for everyone else. And as long mm-hmm. as there's that kind of synchronicity, I think it, it's when it works best. Yeah, but we also I think had. Like the in the very beginning of the campaign, when uh, Zola and Sriracha spent a very long time talking to people in the pub who had literally one sentence of "This is what they know." <laughs> they know. <laughs> there was nothing. There's nothing. Like known NPC names. I don't know how. I don't know how you managed. But it was great. It was one of those really nice moments of like, oh, this like very clearly they think they're on to something and I want to honor that and give them something in like in exchange for the, you know, for what they're doing. Yeah, there are actually, I think, a lot of moments in this campaign where I was trying to recognize when y'all had done something creatively or were pursuing an avenue. And I was like, okay, that's going to be meaningful, even if in the text it's super not. Well, I think that's one of the one of the joys and also the hardships of D&D uh, as a campaign writer is wanting so much to make something that has like a structured coherence and like we're clearly building up to a thing and then being like, oh, they don't care about that at all. That's fine. <laughs> like, let's follow the joy that they're finding somewhere else and find a way to like tie that in or make that the thing. Well, or even just like to peek behind the curtain even more, they're like of this like 11 page adventure, like three or four of those pages are all like at the very end. Here's all of the options for like uncovering taffeta and like exposing this you whole guys thing. Just went straight to the point of it. <laughs> you just, you just like skipped, right after. skipped pages of text. <laughs> which honestly i was not unhappy about because no, that, it, it was great it was it was delightful i was like was oh they're not they're not worried about the, the diplomatic elements of all of this <laughs> no. <laughs> no no i had sufficiently made them angry with a mouse and a very lucky natural 20 uh and a teleportation circle <laughs> Yeah, you made a lawful, a good character who, with a very low wisdom score, really, really angry. (laughs) (laughs) 
I really didn't mean for the mouse to anger you all so much. I really <laughs> intended for that to be helpful. Oh no, the mind flare was what angered the, oh, yeah. the character. The mouse was fine. <laughs> no, the mouse was not. I was going to no. say the mouse got heated <laughs> occasionally. Let's be real. I listened. I was listening. I was listening to it. The mouse was not fine. There was legitimate <laughs> anger. I was pretty upset about the mouse. I'm talking about storming the town hall is yeah. all fucking. Yeah, no yeah, appreciation. Yeah, okay. I as a I as a human being on this side of my screen felt real and genuine anger <laughs> directed at me um, because this mouse was not giving you I thought I was being very helpful. It turns out I was not. No, you were helpful. The mouse was not. Let's blame it on the mouse. You all played the fuck out of that mouse. <laughs> yes. Uh, I was impressed, I have to say, this is not a question, but I was impressed as a person who had never, I mean, I guess I played when I was in the sixth or seventh grade, but you know, that was a long time ago, a very, very long time ago. Yeah, it was the 80s. Don't get smart. Let's go into that a little more. Talk to me more about the 80s. (laughs) No. No, Would you like a Boy George reference? I've done this whole deep enough. We're going to keep going. Um... Uh, it, well, back in the 80s when I lived in Fort, well, I think it might have been 1979 or 1980. I lived on Fort Bragg from 79 to 81. And I distinctly remember us playing D&D in garages, in people's garages where there were like dances. And so, um, and I went to a couple of those dances too and danced to air supply and everything. But the, uh, don't get smart, Percy, the face is what is going to get you every single time. When you make faces <laughs> like that. I will come get you. That's right. The listeners That's at right. home, Turn Percy has just off, turned Percy. off his camera. <laughs> uh, um, anyway, Kevin, you were saying? Uh, yeah, what were so, you impressed by? So uh, <laughs> I'm impressed. Anyways, I don't remember the dungeon master being so quick on their feet like you were. The way we would roll things and then you would just have an answer. And I know that you had it you know, a story in front of you, but I was really shocked by the facility, not shocked, impressed by the facility that you had with the story itself and the way you led us, even though the mouse thing was super frustrating. When it walked, when it ran onto the top of whatever that mountain or house or whatever it was and wouldn't say anything to us. With the icicles. Yeah, they were standing on top of the ice. It's fine. Yeah, it was not cool. Okay. All right. Well, we was, this segues you. pretty well into our next topic, which is geared at our new players. Um, what were some of the things that uh, surprised you and were different from what you thought, either about the game in general, like um, Kevin's uh, impressive uh, feelings about Percy and how quick he was on his feet, um, or about this story particularly? Like, what are some of the things that were surprising um, or delighted you or were different from what you imagined? I think I've said this, but I, I was delighted not only by Percy's running the whole thing, but by Dirksen having a character with a voice and all of that stuff, like going all in. And, I, and I, I've had some time to think about that since... I talked about this and and I I'm not sure in a room full of people that I don't know 
or even people that I do know. I mean, it might be because of my age. Like if I were with people who were my age, who know me and know me like you all know me as people who are all younger than I, I would say that those of you who do know me, I, I if we were peers in terms of age, I might have felt comfortable going all in and playing a character and just sort of doing a thing. But as a person who is older, who is used to at least with you being sort of a leader, it felt weird to play that way. It would, it would, it felt odd for me to, to take a breath and dive in in that way. And so uh, I was really surprised I mean, I guess impressed again that Dirksen could just do a thing and be a thing like that, you know? So I guess what I've learned is I should leave show business forever. (laughs) 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 Oh, geez. Something that I've always been impressed by is I think that Dungeons and Dragons, in my experience, has been a very generational thing. I'm just very interested in that because I think that when you get different generations together in in tabletop gaming and role playing, that that is one of the biggest chasms because like I as a DM have run games for young people and for people sort of in my age bracket, which is 30s, etc. But also for like people who are a little older, but they're always sort of in those groups. And when you uh, mesh them, like it's very hard to have someone who is like a 32 year old, you know, Star Wars Dungeons and Dragons player, be a player at the same table as like college students. I don't think it's impossible. I've seen it a lot of times. Um, But I think it's because everyone's coming from different worldviews and mindsets. And it's it's very easy for a group that's from a a kind of homogenous thing to kind of fall in together and and go, as as you said, sort of all in. Um, I don't know. I don't have a good answer for that. But it's fascinating that you you did have that reaction. And from what I saw, at least, or listened to, that chemistry was very rapidly established. And there was something about that kind of everybody is bringing their own uh, particular style to this. You know, to mm-hmm. me, like you need a Sriracha in every party. Um, like you need, you need a player like that and you need a character like that. Um, so like something about that alienation really worked and made everything really, <laughs> delight, really delightful. Um, while at the same time, you, you realize that, like, as a player, that must be very frustrating. But it sort mm. of pays off in the long run. Hard, it's hard to describe, but it's a really interesting subject. <laughs> I think that is true, what you're saying, Matt. Um, and it, it's interesting. There's the generational thing. And then there's also different people's, like... Um, relationship to the game itself um because i see uh i actually former interns of mine who uh i see their doings on twitter have gotten very into D as of like this quarantine happening which is fascinating because they're not even that much younger than i am and because i started playing when i was slightly younger than they are like the their relationship with the game is only based on like what the game is now and my relationship with it is just very different um 
be like because I have a longer personal history with it. And that is also different from, you know, I know people who are in their 40s, 50s, 60s who have been playing since they were teenagers. And that's a whole other, you know, arc of, you know, the game has been through so many changes over that course of time. I don't know. It's just a a fascinating way that people bring like different it's perspectives. It's also worth noting, and others who have played D&D for a long time sh- should probably feel free to weigh in on this, but I also started playing in, in the 90s when it was a like third edition, uh, mm-hmm. and you all were playing fifth edition. And um, to my mind, third edition was the storytelling aspect was of early D&D was a little more half-cooked. Um uh, and it has really come a long way to being a game that is A, inclusive, and B, the engine is very much the desire of the players to be characters and to have fun as opposed to a video game, you know, where you kill monsters. And it's like, mm-hmm. here's your stats, go out and kill a goblin. And now, very much in 5th edition, it feels like there are a lot of apparati, apparati? Plural of apparatus? Um, sure. There are, a lot, there are a lot of tools. <laughs> straightforward here. There's a lot of tools that allow you to focus in on the storytelling, which I think was lucky for, especially for this group, because you're all very good storytellers. And it probably, I don't know. I also feel like it's boring for an audience to be like, well, they're gonna, you know, they're gonna try to roll d20s for three hours and and hit trolls. And like, maybe some people like that, but. I enjoy the jokes. <laughs> I think that's I think that's sort of like what you've just sort of spoken on is the evolution of Dungeons and Dragons as we've sort of seen it and like how we got here at all, right? Like the fact that we have a live play podcast for for a role playing game is because of Critical Role, which is because of Pathfinder, which is because of uh, Acquisitions Incorporated, which is because. Uh, the third edition of Dungeons and Dragons was really bad at, was really, really kind of a chunky, you know, number crunchy system. And like Acquisitions Incorporated happened and it was like, oh, but you can be funny while you do this and a story can happen. And Chris Perkins happened essentially, the person who writes for Wizards of the Coast and Dungeons and Dragons. You know, it's like the head of story writer for that. Like we've watched that sort of like take off and it's gotten to the point now where like, there is this massive behemoth of, of this paragon of, of an example of role-playing games as a storytelling engine soon to hit your Amazon Prime in the fall as their animated special fucking comes out. Like, it's going to be <laughs> awesome, but it's also like, you know, that is this sort of like explosion of uh, this thing as a medium has really sort of like because of that fifth edition thing. So mm-hmm. I'm, I'm, I guess it's really like, and we're getting into the esoterica right now, but it's... <laughs> <laughs> Renee, were there any things that surprised and delighted you? Or just surprised, whatever that might be, about... What did you really hate it? <laughs> Other than the mouse. Other than the mouse. Um, I will also put in a space to say, like, kudos to Percy for keeping up. And not just also, like, in terms of, like what we were trying to get you to do because what we wanted but um just like the multiple spaces of holding characters um again like in theory knew that that's what you would be doing but then in real time watching it and being like oh snap (laughs) oh like it was really fun to 
I really wanted to play this game since I was in elementary school was the first time I learned about it. And I've spent years listening to people talk about this thing. And I was like, uh, uh, yes, I should be playing d and I was created for things like D&D <laughs> like, before I even knew I was an artist, before I knew I was a performer. It was clear that this would be the sort of thing that was for me. So it was really fun to watch in real time, specifically like the master just beat like that, the master. Um, so I, I really appreciated that and getting to really understand the complexity of that. And then now hearing like how the story's written even more so being like, oh, you're so good. <laughs> uh, I, I also want to compliment Renee because I feel like you saying you were bored for it is, is very uh, telling because I feel like you can always tell the naturals because they're the ones who can't slip out of their accent when they're not talking. <laughs> <laughs> Something that I always very much appreciate. Thank you. Thank you. It, that, was, that, was, that was fun and exciting. I didn't expect to, to play so hard. So that was like really mm. like kudos to everyone involved. I am a collaborative performer I'm a site-specific improv collaborative performer. Those are the things that I love. So I really was worried about not being able to tap in and have fun with everyone. So the mm -hmm. fact that the, like, and it was like, you could, you just feel everybody's part. And it's so funny, Nick, I've been like playing some of, I, I was going to listen to the episodes and then I decided not to until after we talk because I get in my own head. Um, but I was like, I've been like daydreaming for the last few days and being like, it, I really feel like I did get to, I don't know who you are, Nick, but I feel like I know you. And like, I, you know, I just, just these little moments of things and like, even like the tone of your voice, the pace of your voice, I feel like I still have it in my head, which is like a really fun thing is like this, this whole experience for me turned out to be super embodied. I'm an embodied equity consultant. And it turned out to be a really embodied experience in a way mm -hmm. that I just didn't expect, but was like really ready for. So I appreciate, I appreciate that people like gave me the chance to like have low stakes with this and mm -hmm. like, let me know like truly what was coming, you know, like in like the lowest keys of ways, nobody like pressured or, and at first that was really kind of like my Virgo was like, tell me more, <laughs> be more specific. Um, and I let that go, but what it ended up giving me a chance to do was actually just enjoy. So I feel really excited about that. Uh, and I, I really also feel excited about the chance to figure out how to write for something like this, how to like create for something like this. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm like an autobiographical person. That's been the last seven years of my career. And so now I'm trying to write more fiction and trying to do, trying to write comedy y'all, writing a set. Like, so this was fun to even like play like, oh yeah, I think I'm a comedian sometime. Can I push that? Um, and like, where can I like say to myself, I'm funny and it's okay to be funny. And this mm -hmm. was like a space where I feel like I haven't listened yet. So it'll be fun to really go listen to myself. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I mean, in that vein, I want to shout out um, all of the my myriad ways that you shut Tragic down when he tried to mansplain <laughs> being a bard to you. It was so good. Um, and that for me, just like observing you as a player was like, 
because very early on he did that and you took no shit and I was like okay amazing she's gonna be she's gonna be great um because there was like exactly what I wanted you to do yes yes yes. (laughs) like please know that this is the this is what you're dealing with with this character and I'm doing this on purpose (laughs) which I think like again about like bringing so the other part again I'll bring you back sir thank you for thank you thank you thank you thank you thank you thank you for like really just doing what you do. Like you do what you do. You love this game and I get that. But the genius in what, in that, what that character did to me. (laughs) So like, you know, like I felt it, I knew it. It was like real, it was, I was like, oh hell no. I know this people, no, I know men like you. Mm. (laughs) (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, And it was like, that was like really, you know, just getting to process that later and realize like I was playing, I was playing, but I was playing me. Like you were talking about Kevin, right? Like we, me, we play ourselves, especially I think as a black person. Yeah, of course my tabaxi is a black woman. No fucking yeah. way. What else would, it, what else would she be? Um, so yeah, I really. A cat? <laughs> well, a black woman cat. A black woman cat. Thank you. Um, so like I, the idea, the thought of like being able to write for something where like your character did everything it was supposed to do and it did to me what it was supposed to do, and I didn't realize it until after. So it, I really respect mm. the work, right, that you did to be able to put your fears into a character <laughs> and then, like, live that character so well and embody that, that fear so well that I actually had fun with your fear. And I don't know if you had fun with your fear, but I had fun with your fear. You made and my like, fear okay. Hey, oh, great. Uh, <laughs> and like uh, that, like that's, that's my work. That's what I try to do in my consulting practices to give people the opportunity to understand that words and emotions are not weapons because that's what America has taught us. Mm. Instead, they are beautiful pieces of information and it is just our job to do something with it. And we don't always have to understand what the information is that's coming so long as we let it genuinely affect us and then we can have a conversation with it afterwards but like I just like the idea of playing this for a long time and having you know several chances to come back with a group of people and build like over the moon for that idea Mm. and wanting to really so yeah I I just I really I couldn't have imagined how deep this could go and to hear that the game in and of itself has been evolving for those exact reasons mm-hmm. and that there have been these iterations of learning from it and recognizing how exclusive it was and working spaces for it. I think that feels really beautiful. And without even knowing the history of it, I feel like I got to live it in real time, um, which felt beautiful. I want to, I want to, point out this is the thing that both of you have mentioned that I think is one of the fascinating things and I wonder if there's like I'm sure there's someone who's probably written some sort of dissertations on this but like as black people playing this game um you both played characters who were populations that are like minority populations essentially right I'd be curious to know um what your experience was like in this game 
like playing these those characters like and, and i'm curious to know like what would it be like to be a tiefling versus being a human who has black skin and is uh-huh. there differences to you do you feel like that's a thing that you would ex- that is explorable or is it just sort of like am i just talking am i being chadrick bozer right <laughs> um well in theory if you follow my theory that we're always playing ourselves at some point um you are being chadrick bozer but um uh but what i'd say is that i don't because i don't know enough about what a tiefling is i don't know enough about that to say that is the reason why i was using all of my own choices and thinking that way i mean i I would have done that anyway but i can't answer that question now because i don't know enough about what a tiefling is or does or looks like and that was because i decided when i was freaking out about doing the show i I decided not to go crazy about doing research on everything because I thought it might be a better show if I don't know what the hell I was doing, if I didn't know what I was doing. <laughs> and, and that there were things that there there were jokes that would come up in my mind that were organic rather than things that I would, you know, if, knew, if I knew what a tiefling was. And so um, I also feel like I have to say that Everything, all of my choices are tied up in who I am as a black American in the same way that everything that you all do is is tied up in your choices as a white American and how you are how we are socialized in this racist, sexist, misogynistic, transphobic, homophobic society and that we are we live in a world that that just sort of whether we're happy or not, there's nothing to do with happiness or sadness or anything. We make choices based on the way we've been socialized. So I I am not sure if I would have made, if I could make different choices as a tiefling because I'd still be playing as myself. And I, you know, I can't not talk about race. I just, it's just me. It's just, it's part of who I am. It's part of what my mission in the world is. And so I, I don't know how to answer that question other than, um, other than to say, if we ever do this again, you keep looking at it. Because <laughs> I'm not. <laughs> um, I'll say that I definitely chose not to be human on purpose. Yes. Because I was pretty sure that human meant white, depending on who yeah. the story, like the story yeah. was going to be white. Preach. There was no way that there was, this was going to be anything Yes. that was other than white story. So I specifically knew when I found out that I didn't have to be a human, that I didn't want to be a human. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, and then I'll just say like, you know, my tabaxi, the one I made for the video game was like a, a rainbow sparkly colored thing. She wasn't closer to me, but I think that that choice was made specifically because I knew it would be a white world. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'd be curious to know, you know, what it looks like to play in a room full of POCs. Yeah. Yes. If the, if the writer and the master are black, brown, or indigenous, I imagine the story would be black, brown, and indigenous. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I, I, I wanted to talk to that because my first, uh, I played D&D as a kid. 
the the old editions of Dungeons and Dragons are deeply entrenched in you know white European tenets and tropes and all all that stuff as you would expect and they've started to broaden their horizons uh, and do a slightly better job but you also realize that there's a lot of white people still who run the situation and they're trying to figure out their relationship with appropriation etc so it's all sort of a mess um, but when I got back into D&D in the last few years um, with the new edition my DM when I was a player uh, was a, a black man about my age, uh, and he set the campaign in uh, in a, a, a fantastical sort of North African setting, uh, and I was one of the few white people there, and it was a wonderful experience, but it was exactly that, which is that if you have that plurality and you have that inclusivity, the game changes um, in that wonderful way becomes that new thing and I, and I of course had only my own experience to be able to base that on but feel like so much of that is just about uh, yes again figuring out how to make sure that there is a collaborative element between the storytellers such that the story doesn't feel weighted in one way or the other or or weighted in a way that it traditionally has not been weighted is maybe a better way to say that I've been thinking a lot about that recently as you read modules and even my own being aware of that as I was writing it and being like yeah this is the traditional like some small fairy town in Germany right like <laughs> right 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 yeah, yeah. and not knowing who my players were going to be I was like do I want I, I had a lot of thoughts where I was like do I want to like go for something that is outside of my wheelhouse or is that going to end up being like the whole thing if I don't know who those people are absolutely Um, yeah so it's it's fascinating I mean it's great and again it goes back to what Percy said before which is like the more trust can be established and the more sort of conversation that there is I think the more fun you can have with those uh those boundaries yeah Mm -hmm. yeah yeah I mean I think it's in the end about just having lots of tables that have lots of different people at them um especially because like the game and we've talked a little bit about this in previous episodes the game itself is a western european power fantasy it is colonialist by nature um yeah i mean i I think it's about actively recognizing the flaws of games like this and undoing them because they are totally undoable but i think it's just about yeah they're very entrenched and i think this is a lot of the problem problem i dare say this will get you some non-fans i'm sure by saying this but you know there is a lot of entrenched old-fashionedness patriarchal elements that were in the that were sewn up into the very making of this game which is what has kept so many people away from it for so many decades um and why it was seen as sort of traditionally associated with like very socially uncomfortable white men in their mom's basement. (laughs) And like that's as much as I hate to say it, like having grown up in that, that's not an incorrect assessment. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, And the fact that it is working to be changed now is I think the thing that is exciting to all of us. And I think, I think one of the best things um, that about that and about that game is one of the best things about it's funny because one of the best things about the game is that it provides socially awkward people a rule set in which to socialize and so like which is involved for charisma instead of actually saying something yes exactly and you can like you can affect you and and also it's like an opportunity for people just to be because this is a face-to-face 
game, right? So like at the very least, it's just getting people out of the house and having the conversation, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, but like, but like the notion that like, you know, canonically elves and dwarves are racist against each other as an example of things like that's like that. And humans are European and like orcs are like very Tolkien-esque orcs are like, what are orcs? Yeah, but there's all yeah. but there's also a lot of great. I mean, we could talk about this for hours, and we won't. But there's also a lot of like coding. There's like a ton mm. of really weird racial coding in a lot of these fantasy things. And you know, mm. it's like mm-hmm. the, and and like, is it? And this is a question that I, as a as a white Jewish person, can like sort of answer and can sort of not answer for myself. Uh, but can't hope to possibly answer from a from a real multiplicity of perspectives, which is like, is the fact that like sort of Tolkien coded orcs as like bar- barbarians, I'm doing big air quotes right. there, who sort of lived in huts and have a tribal mentality, like we know what that is coming from in the modern day. Does it make sense to sort of reappropriate that by leaning into that and trying to figure out what that means, or like cutting ourselves off from that entirely and trying to find something new? I don't know. I don't have an answer, but it's a, something that comes up a lot in these conversations that I have with other people who are building campaigns. It's a conversation that's certainly like very. I actually, literally, as of these last two days <laughs> leading up to when we're recording this, um, it's a conversation that's very prevalent um like on the tabletop role playing interweb um and i was just going to say that like dnd has its own extremely fraught history uh, with all of these subjects but um one of the things that i think is so encouraging about the last like 10 years is there's been a real explosion of uh independent games um and creations that are not um that either are not kind of the official D&D, but supplements for it, or are whole independent games in kind of the same genre. Um, And a lot of the most exciting of those games um, and the most interesting worlds and so on are being created by people of color. So I was going to say uh, this is just like one point of entry, but if people are interested in that, there's a Twitter account called at POC TTRPGs. Um, and they just, uh, that Twitter account is a person who kind of helps collate and, uh, point, point out and raise up the work that POCs are doing in, uh, the tabletop role-playing game field. So that's a one place, one of many to start like exploring the wide world of independent, uh, games that are being created and led and championed by people of color. Awesome. Um, from there, just as we're winding down a little here, are there any last questions, thoughts, players, playwright, dungeon master, um, any other things that are coming to mind before we bring this to a close? I mean, thank you all for playing. Like, thank you very, very much for, for doing this. Um, it was even like, I, I, this is a thing that I do as a hobby, but this is the specific experience is very transformative. Um, for me, because like professionally, I'm a dramaturg and I'm not used to being a performer. Um, and even though I am performing less than you all were like this, is this is not 
a space that I occupy very often and it is not a space that I'm super comfortable occupying. Um, so this is really cool to get to do it in, in an environment where I felt really safe doing it. So I wanted to reflect back, like, thank you for, for this, um, not to be too sentimental, but. Um, I want to say thank you, not for creating a safe environment, but for creating an environment that scared the shit out of me. <laughs> we tried so hard yeah. to make it a safe environment for you guys. But but here's the thing: is that we talk a lot about safe environments, and I and I and I think that they are necessary, and I, I think they're necessary, and I and I appreciate it. But what I also really appreciate, and it's one of the things that I try to do as a director, is that creating an environment that's safe enough for people to take scary risks in. Mm. Mm -hmm. And so, I, I mean, I, I want an environment where people feel like they're right on the edge of something. And I, I think um, uh, how it might translate in my experience going forward is, is being comfortable not giving all the information, being comfortable not telling everybody every single thing when we go into rehearsal. I'm like that a lot with students but i'm not like that a lot with adults because adults like don't like to be managed and they don't like you know they don't like to think that they're being managed or whatever but i like to be transparent and i like to so i think going into it say you know i want us i want our space to be safe but i i also want you to be a little bit scared of what of what you're going to create of what's going to come out of you and so um i appreciate being pushed to do this I, I, you know, I'm not even sure why I'm doing it, why I did it <laughs> and why you chose me, but I love you and I appreciate um, having done it. And I can't wait for it to be released because I think I'm going to be embarrassed by some of the things that I say and it's going to be delightful. It was just that sweet hotness. We it's really <laughs> wanted that sweet, sweet hotness. Honestly, also, I remember vividly like the second day that I knew you. Um, I mentioned something about playing or doing, talking about Dungeons and Dragons with Christopher Dierkson and you were like kids these days and their dice and their dragons. <laughs> <laughs> and I, every time we sat down to record this, I thought about that very specific moment, um, when you and I did not know each other well at all. Um, <laughs> and I came out my face with some mess. <laughs> <laughs> That is, I think, the thing that you can count on with me is that I will say things that I have no recollection of saying and often could have been I could have said something that was really awful. So thank you for not letting go of me after I said that. Kids these days. I, know, I love, I love you dragons. very much. How I dare you. That's what you said. That's literally what you said to me. <laughs> I know. I was talking to myself. I believe I it and I don't you. even I'm know sure, you. I'm sure, was, <laughs> I'm sure that because you were talking about uh, dice and dragons with me i'm sure kevin went that was all just about my the way i perceive and i project dungeons and dragons to the world beautiful oh kevin well, is dying i am i'm gonna die in the words of one of my favorite people this has been a treat thank you so much that's me Wait, that's me. <laughs> that's a and I hope y'all have a lovely evening. This has been so delightful to get to talk about the campaign and our first arc. Um, and I just want to thank each of you so, so much for being there with us for this first foray. 
Dungeons and Drama Nerds is produced by Todd Brian Backus, Percy Hornack, and Nick Orvis, and is mixed and edited by Anthony Sertel-Dean. Of Mice and Monsters, our Dungeons and Dragons 5th edition adventure was written by Matthew Minichino, featuring Christopher Dierksen as Chadrick Bosley, Kevin R. Free as Sri Racha, Renee Goddess as Nokuzola, Nicholas Orvis as Gavin the Glorious, and Percy Hornack as our Dungeon Master. Find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at dndramanerds. Check out our cast bios on our website, dungeonsanddramanerds.com, and tune in next week for another episode of Dungeons and Drama Nerds. Dungeons and Drama Nerds.